Hey guys, my name is Brad Livingston. I'm the lead pastor here at Transformation Church, and we are so excited to have you with us today. I pray that this message that you're about to watch encourages you. I hope that it restores hope to your life. I pray that as you watch it, God draws you closer to himself and that you get a clearer picture of not only who he wants to be in your life, but who he wants you to be. Uh, we have a vision here at Transformation Church that says that we exist to see people transformed from who they are to who God wants them to be. And I know that this message is gonna take you on a journey closer to that person, that God has destined you and purposed you to be. For more information, you can go to transformationchurch.com or on your smartphone, you can go to mytc.life and you can find out all that we have for you here at TC. I know that God has a plan for you and let's get into this message as we discover exactly what God wants to speak to you today. What's up, guys? We are so excited to be with you. We are pumped about what is happening here at Transformation Church. And uh, as far as we know, I'm gonna go ahead and let this information out there. As far as we know, given that nothing changes in regards to restrictions and all the things that go on in our city, our state, in our nation with COVID-19, coronavirus, and all that good stuff, barring no changes, I'm here to let you know that we will be in this building July 12th, uh, ready to worship together. And so we are pumped about that. We are excited and I can't wait to see all of your faces. And, and obviously we'll be taking necessary precautions and we will be uh, keeping in mind all the things that need to happen. We are uh, working on a plan. Uh, actually, we have a plan. We'll be rolling that plan actually out to you uh, to give you the assurance that you'll be safe and you'll be uh, secure that uh, we'll be practicing, practicing all the social uh, guidelines and uh, man, all those things. So we just want you to know that we are going to be doing that. And July 12th, we'll be meeting at the facility, barring no changes, but keep uh, tuned, stay tuned in uh, and keep your ears out on social media and through email because we'll be communicating that way. All right, guys. But hey, we're in our last message on the Take Your Steak uh, series. And this one's going to be a little different because uh, we're not so much asking uh, you to give, even though we are still in the Take Your Steak offering. We want you to continue to give to that. But Today, I want to talk to you a little bit about our faith and what it looks like in the midst of the take your stake thing. See, we, uh, me and my family went to Chili's the other day and, and while we were at Chili's, uh, we, me and Ashley got the two for 25 deal. If you know what that is, come on somebody. Uh, so we, uh, I, I was in the mood for some chicken crispers with the honey chipotle sauce. Come on. Anyway, so I was, uh, so we went and when we sat down, the people we were with ordered a basket of chips and salsa. So uh, as you know, when it's unlimited chips and salsa, what are you going to do, right? Eat every chip in the restaurant, right? Like that's your, that's your sole purpose in that moment. So after killing, I don't know, six or seven uh, dozen baskets of chips, uh, no, I'm just kidding. But seriously, uh, then, uh, then our appetizer came out because it comes with it. And so uh, obviously we ate that and then the food came out and at Chili's it comes with the dessert. And so the whole time I had kind of been thinking, man, I can't wait to dive into this skillet cookie. Y'all know the cookies like where they put the chocolate chip cookie in the skillet and then they bake it and then they take it out and the chocolate's all melty and it's sweet heavenly goodness in that skillet. And then they put a scoop of ice cream on top. But by the time it gets to your table, it's already partially melted. So there's like a, there's like a layer of ice cream all over the cookie and you break into it. And then the ice cream seeps into the spot that you broke into and Sorry, I needed a second. Okay, so uh, <clears throat> as that happened, but what I realized is by the time I got to my skillet cookie, I couldn't possibly eat any more food. Like I was disappointed because I was looking forward to that skillet cookie, but I couldn't eat any of it. Now I do have a firm belief that dessert doesn't count when you're full. 
because ice cream and all that stuff just kind of seeps into the cracks of the food down in here, right? So you could still fit ice cream in no matter what. But I was so full, man. And, and, the, and it kind of led me down this idea, right? That I didn't have any room for dessert. And, and, and some of us, I feel like we may be that way in our faith. And I'll explain that in just a minute. See, the question I have for you today is, is the gospel of Jesus changing us in such a way that we would be active in our faith. Now you may be going, what does that have to do with the skillet cookie? I'll tell you about that in just a few minutes. But the question I ask for you is the gospel, is, is the good news of who Jesus is to us, is it changing us in such a way that we would become not just communicative, not just talkative about our faith, but we would be active in our faith. Does it drive our behavior? Does it change who we are? And that's the question I have for you. Is it causing us to be active in our beliefs and something bigger than the things of this world? Is it causing us to go more to lost people, to give more to gospel causes, to sacrifice more to the kingdom? And essentially, we don't just take our stake in a way that we would give to the structure or that we would give to this new campus. Although we want you to keep doing that and my, me and my family will continue to do that uh, until we reach our goal. But there, there's something bigger that I want us to see. Do we give our lives in a way that the gospel transforms us? It regenerates us. It gives us a fresh start with a new path toward the transformation of our hearts, our homes, our house, and our city. In other words, are we allowing what Jesus is doing in our life to not just change us on the inside in a secret place, but are we allowing him to change us in a public setting? Is it evident in our life? Is it evident in our homes? Is it evident in our house, our church? And is it evident in our city? You see, this is the beginning in Isaiah of a beautiful passage where God is talking about, uh, through Isaiah, the restoration of what is coming. Now, I know that many of us can't wait for COVID-19 to be over so that we can be looking for what is coming. We can't wait for coronavirus to be over. We can't wait for all this so that we can get back to some sense of normalcy. And in Isaiah 60, Isaiah is actually talking about the return back to the things the way they should have been before sin entered the world. And this is what it looks like. So he says, arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the people, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Come on, somebody. Like God is saying that uh, through Isaiah, that there is coming a time where in the midst of darkness, God's glory will shine on you. He says, so it appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. And so what Isaiah is communicating to us right here is that there's coming a day where all the things that have been broken and fragmented because sin entered the world and Adam in the garden and all those things, when there's coming a day that despite all of that being true, God's gonna restore things back to the way he designed them in the beginning. Hear me today, church. There is a hope that is coming despite all of the craziness. Although darkness may reign around you, the glory of God can bring light on you in such a way that he would bless you, he would bless your home, he would bless your house, and he could help impact your city, your nation, the world. Hear me, God will restore. God will restore the things that have been broken. So until then, our faith has to be both spiritually passionate and actively present. I'm gonna say that again. Until God restores all things like he has promised, our faith has to be both spiritually passionate and actively present. 
That means that we don't just get to sit back on our lazy boy and wait for God to do something. God's waiting on us to go do something. And so what does that look like? Well, what is active faith? That is the question. What kind of faith will lead us to this place? Well, we have three things that I want to point out to you that active faith does or causes or comes from. And the first one is that active faith causes humility in us so that we can be the difference in others for God. I want you to grab a hold of that. Active faith causes humility in us so that we can be the difference in others for God. Listen, you can't be trying to save a city. You can't be passionate about the good news of God. You can't do any of those things if you don't love the people that you've been sent to change. You see, if people are less than, if they don't have the value, the, the, the time, the moment you start to assign different titles to people and categorize them as unworthy of your cause, you have stepped away from what the gospel has sent you to do. But we have been called to go in, so we have to operate in humility. Why? Because we got to be the difference in others for God. You know, I was uh, with my niece a few days ago, and uh, she's like four or five or six or something. I have a 15-year-old niece that I swear is still 11, so I'm really not good with this age thing. But she's in that four, five, six age bracket, and uh, so we were arguing. But it was one. I, I watched her argue with another little girl, and they were arguing back and forth. So they were doing the no, it's mine, no, it's mine thing. So I. I went over there and I was like, oh, this is so cute. So I go over there and I start arguing with her over something else because I'll always walk up to her and take something off her plate and be like, oh, that's mine. And she'll be like, uh-uh. And I'll be like, uh-huh. And as parents or uncles and aunts or grandparents, you all know that moment where you've caught yourself arguing with a six-year-old, right? And you find yourself in that uh-uh, uh-huh place, right? Uh-uh, uh-huh, uh-huh, and how many knows you could do that for an hour if that six-year-old would let you, right? Like, they will go on and on and on. Now, the difference is it's funny to look at and a laugh because it's a child, right? Like, this is a child being an idiot, except that some of us look like that on our social media platforms. Some of us look like six-year-old children going, uh-uh, uh-huh, uh-uh, uh-huh, uh-uh, uh-huh. <laughs> and we are not operating in the humility that God has brought us to operate in. And a matter of fact, some of us, hear me for a second, we're damaging our gospel message because we're so passionate about our worldly one. And God has sent us with a message. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying we should abandon uh, ideas of justice or being a voice for the unborn or any of those things. I'm not saying we shouldn't do those things. I'm saying we shouldn't sacrifice the gospel on the altar of worldly pursuits. We should be going after eternal pursuits and our pursuit after the eternal will change the way we see worldly things, but we don't operate through a worldly lens hoping to get to eternal things. There's a big difference. So we're wasting much of our influence that could be used to impact people with the gospel and be an eternal difference playing the uh-uh and uh-huh game over the stuff that you don't understand and oftentimes doesn't even matter. James 2, 14 through 20 puts it like this. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Man, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And so we have to find this fine line of marriage 
between faith and eternal perspective and works, worldly operation. Now, here's what I want you to understand. I'm not saying we should be so concentrated on the gospel that we don't care about worldly things. I'm actually saying we should be so consumed by the gospel that we care so much about people's eternity, that we care so much about whether or not they're going to heaven and hell, that we would love them with works to the degree that we hope that they'll see our works and identify it with our faith. You see, your movement, your heritage, your bloodline, where you come from, isn't nearly as important as where you're going. So there's an eternal promise that God is bringing to us. Are we preparing more for the promise or are we more concentrated on the present? And God wants us to be looking forward to the promise, still restoring, still building, and still concentrating and get everything ready for where we're going. Next, active faith sees work as opportunities to influence others and glorify God. I'm gonna say it again. Active faith sees work as opportunities to influence others and glorify God. Now you may say, what do you mean by that? Well, you see, historically we have associated work with bad notions. Like work has a bad connotation to it, right? And so anytime we talk about work, we instantly have a negative connotation. Like, ah, I want to go to work, right? Like tomorrow's Monday and many of you are already dreading tomorrow because Monday is work and you don't want to go. And many of you don't like your jobs and whatever, right? So we automatically have that. And I've never seen a generation complain more about working than this one. Like, you do realize that your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, and their grandparents, and their grandparents, parents, 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 grandparents, you know, people have worked since people were put on this earth, but this generation seems to have a special desire to complain about it. Hear me for a second. Work wasn't always a bad thing. As a matter of fact, Matthew 5, 13 through 16 says this, and this is what I want you to understand. We're talking about work because we need to be present in moments of work. And so he says, uh, Matthew says this, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? You see, some of you don't need to be made salty again because you never stop being salty. And I ain't talking about this kind of salty neither. I'm talking about you just bitter all the time. Anyway, so different, different way. But how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. They're talking about influence. He says it this way, again, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good intentions, secret acts of kindness, that they may see what happens when no one is looking. No, no, no. It says that they may see your good deeds. They may see what you're active in. In other words, they may see what you are doing with your hands and your feet and glorify your Father in heaven. Hear me for a second. I want you to grab a hold of this. You are glorifying God and you are helping people look to God when they see the good deeds that is happening with your hands and your feet. So often we disassociate what we've been called to do spiritually from what we are doing physically. And I'm here to tell you today that they are built to run in tandem together. 
Now you may say like, man, I don't like that too much. Well, I want to show you because as a matter of fact, God introduces man in the book of Genesis. If you go back to Genesis 1, man, we see that God is working in the beginning. Again, so if we have this negative connotation of work, the very first thing God does when he creates is he creates. So God comes on the scene working. And then guess what happens when he brings Jesus on the scene to restore that which was broken? Jesus doesn't come as a Greek God, a philosopher, right? He doesn't even come as a Roman God, as a, as a general or a commander. He comes as a carpenter. You see, when Jesus comes on the scene, even he comes to work. He says, even in the Bible, he says, I have not come to be served, but to serve. And so often in our life, we disassociated work. But I'm here to tell you that our work should be how God is seen in our spheres of influence. Our work, what we're doing in life should be how God is seen in our spheres of influence. Hear me for a second. The people you work around that you're complaining about being around tomorrow, those people are the ones God put you around so that you could introduce them to the eternal hope in Jesus Christ. And so often we're going, I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. I hate, blah, blah, blah. Hear me for a second. You're wasting what God gave you, hoping God will give you something else. And we have to buy into this idea that, you know what, I'm going to be everything God created to be right here until he gives me something else to be somewhere else. You see, the Bible said that God feeds us. So if he feeds us, how many of you know that mood, uh, food doesn't magically just appear on the table? I wish it did. You know, that pepperoni pizza that's cheesy and garlicky and filled with goodness. Sorry, I'm back. How many of you know that, that pizza doesn't just appear on the table, right? Someone grew the tomatoes to make the sauce with. A trucker drove the, the vegetables to the restaurant. A chef put that together. It was cooked and a waiter brought it to your table. And, 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 I want, and Charles Spurgeon used to communicate this and he used to talk about how important laborers were to the kingdom. That the average person doing what God has set them to do in that time are actually the fingers of God. Because when God feeds us, he doesn't magically put food on the table, but every step of the process to get that food to your table was someone operating the way God called them to operate to get the things where they needed to be. So God feeding you is using people in their gifts and where God has put them in that moment to get the food on the table so that you can be uh, able to eat, you can be able to dine, you can do all those things. Why? Because every aspect. Now, may that waiter complain about being there? Maybe. Maybe the chef cooking isn't his favorite thing to do and the trucker driving vegetables doesn't like it. But I'm here to tell you today, each one of them doing that is getting God's intended purpose to get what God has for you right now. And what is it that God wants to do in somebody else that you're complaining about in the process? Maybe you are there for one person. I'll never forget I had a job and I had it for about seven years. And my dad actually was the one telling me, you need to quit that job. You need to leave it. It's, it's just, you, you need to quit. I wasn't really getting paid enough, right? Especially for what I had to deal with. Uh, I wasn't, uh, I, I did enjoy the environment, but my boss was a little crazy. And there was a number of things going on. And so in the midst of that, he came to me and said, you really need to go find another job. And I told him, I said, I don't know why, but I feel like God's got me here. And the crap that I have to deal with and the stuff that I have to go through and, and the problems I have to endure in the environment that I don't particularly care for, 
I said, I'm going to deal with all of that so that I can get to the thing that he's called me to do. And for six years out of those seven, I endured. Now, there were moments that were great. Don't get me wrong. But I just kept going, being faithful to where God had put me. And over time, over six years, I noticed about year four that God had called me to reach one particular person. And so I then gave my life to that. I would show up to work and I would do all the things I was working to do, but there was really one goal in mind and that was to introduce that person to who Jesus was because he had a bad taste in his mouth of who Jesus was because of the people that claimed to know Jesus. And so I, over time, over years, kept talking to him, kept introducing him to the gospel, kept talking about who Jesus actually was, what Jesus actually came to accomplish, not religious systems, but to dismantle religious systems, to build relationships and, and all of those things. And, and you know what? Even at the end of year seven, I'd love to tell you that he met Jesus at the end of year seven, but he didn't. He left at the end of year seven. He moved and got a different job. And in that moment, God said, I'm releasing you from this job. And I thought to myself, but I, I don't feel like I accomplished it. I'm here to tell you that the job that I ended up getting was in the same place that this guy was at. And two years later, he gave his life to Jesus. And I'm here to tell you that there were seven years that I could have been complaining. I could have been mad, could have been bitter. This isn't my purpose. I don't know why I'm here, but I'm here to tell you today that God is more concerned about the people you're around than the, desire, the desires that you have. God is more concerned about saving the people that are around you every day than he is getting you to your ultimate destination because the ultimate destination for all of us is an eternity with him and who we take with us is important and we have to see that. You see, so as we go there, this is what happens and, and all the complaining that we do and all that, this is, we're saying two things. One, when we're talking about complaining about where we currently are, maybe it's a job, but maybe it's also a season in life. So maybe you're not complaining about your work, but you're just complaining about being in this city. Maybe you're complaining about where you're at in life right now. I mean, I want you to hear this. There are two things that happen, and two things we're ultimately telling God when that is happening. One, we're saying, God, you made a mistake by giving me this sphere of influence. God, you made a mistake by giving me this sphere of influence. Or two, we're saying, God, I'm gonna waste my influence because these people aren't worth your time or mine. Think about that for a second. That's what we're telling God when we say, I don't want to be here. We're saying, God, you made a mistake because I shouldn't be here. Can I tell you something, friends? God doesn't make mistakes. So if you're somewhere, that means he has you somewhere for a reason. That means be fruitful while you're there because he's going to lead you. See, your work may very well be opening the door for the gospel. Dick Lucas says this, and I think this is a powerful quote from one of his messages. He says, if you were to go to a book table at a church and see a biography with the title, the man God uses or the woman God uses, you would immediately think it was a story of a missionary, teacher, church leader, or specialist in some sort of spiritual work. What you find in the story of Joseph is a highly successful manager or official this is evidence that God is not just looking to use men and women in ministry, but in law, in medicine, in business, in the arts. Not seeing this is the great shortfall of today. Listen, God doesn't need more pastors, more than he needs more waiters. God doesn't need more worship leaders, more than he needs more chefs or attorneys. You see, 
what God ultimately desires to have is not just people that would stand on a stage and proclaim who Jesus is, but that people would go to their work and proclaim who Jesus is. And so what God is desiring for us is that we would not see work as a hurdle to be overcome, but we would see work as a sphere of influence to be infiltrated. So do we bring the gospel into our work or into our community or into this season of life? For many of you, again, you're not complaining about work. You're just saying, when I get through this season, then I'll. Can I tell you something? Bring God into your season. Stop waiting till you get out of it so God can do something then. For many of you, God won't take you out of a season until he gets to get into your season. You can tweet that. That one was for free. Okay, so then lastly, active faith is focused on what matters most. Active faith is focused on what matters most, a life of pursuing God, a life of pursuing God. And I, we're going back to Isaiah here in Isaiah 60, when we talked about how things would be restored, things would be brought back in this story. He says this, lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar and your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. He says, the wealth on the seas will be brought to you and to you the riches of the nations will come. It goes on to say, they will be accepted as offerings on my altar and I will adorn my glorious temple. You see, there is this story in Isaiah 60 where God is restoring things back to the way that they should have been. And the people are bringing wealth together. They're, they're bringing it to the temple. They're bringing it to God. They're bringing it to him and saying, listen, you are greater than everything. I'm, we're going to build something for you. And we want you to be glorified in every aspect of our life. When things are made right, it will be because you have been glorified. Well, hear me for a second. There's another story where people brought their wealth too. There's another story where they said, we want to bring things together and build something. And it was the story of Babel. You see, in the Bible, they built this tower of Babel. But if you go back and look in the book of Genesis when that was done, what happens is they said, we want to build something for ourselves. We want to build something so that we would be exalted. We want, to be, we want to build something so that we will be known. We want to build something so that our names would be known, that our names would be written, that our names would be glorified. We want to, we want to build something for us so that people will know us. And, and if you read that story, what happens is because of that, the tower falls and, and the nations are sent out and different tongues are developed. The unity that was once existing as a pursuit after God and who he was and the glory of who he was, was then fragments and people were spread apart into nations and into tongues and, and they were sent out to different areas. Why? When the unification around the glory of God ceased, the unification of man ceased. You see, the minute you start trying to build something for you, you stop looking at God. I want you to hear me for a second. The minute you stop or the minute you start looking at everything else, looking at your career, looking at all those things as more important than God. As you start building something for you, that's when things fall apart. And so what we have to understand is that God is coming in and he's saying, listen, you don't need to be built. You don't need to be building on what is happening around you. You don't need to 
pursue after the things that, of this world. What you need is to glorify me, to put me in my rightful place. What you need is me above all else. What you need is to glorify me. What you need is to give to me. You need to be focused on what matters most. And I'm here to tell you today that one of the ways that this is so evident is in how we, uh, how we build human solutions to worldly problems in our life. You see, uh, one of the things that's very interesting to me is how we'll, we'll come in and, and we've all heard this phrase before. Maybe you've heard it, hopefully, I'm sure you have. We need to build a better world for our kids. Anybody ever heard that before? We need to build a better world for our kids. You see, that's a human solution to a problem. You know what I think we need to do? I think we need to build better kids for our world. You see, we don't need to build a world, a better world for people. We need to build better people for the world. What we need is we need the gospel, not even to make people better, but to make them new. You see, we need to be focused on what matters most. And I know for some of us, we're being active but the question I have you about your activity is, is your activity backwards, right? Here's what I mean by that. You see, we are trying to solve the world's problems detached from our gospel callings. We need to take our stake, but more than just a campus, but also in the direction of our role in the movement of Christ's kingdom. Can we pursue both the gospel, which is eternal, and the values of God, which are temporary? And the answer is yes. Can we fight for justice, but also fight for the unborn while also pursuing the gospel? The answer is yes. It should drive us to do all of these things. You can't be either or, but it has to be both and. So hear me for a second. All of the Facebook posts, the Instagram hashtags and movements are good in their place. But I have one question for you. In spite of all your Facebook posts that very few people are looking at, Despite your Instagram stories, who have you talked to about Jesus today? I know that you care about some movement. I know maybe you think the statues should stay up or they should come down. I, think, I know maybe you think we should keep a flag or get rid of a flag. I, think, I know maybe you think all of these things are important and in your sphere, I believe that some of them probably are. But let me ask you this, who have you shared Jesus with today? Because when you stand before God and I stand before God, he's not gonna ask us which flag we flew. He's not gonna ask us which statue we fought for. He's gonna ask you who you share Jesus with. And we need to become passionate about the things that God has called us to and realize that some of us are sacrificing our gospel voice on the altar of worldly things. And God is asking us, will we be active in our faith? Not just in our ideologies, not just in the things we care about. And hear me, some of them are important and need to be fought for. I don't know if they're statues and flags, but I do believe they are lives. And what I'm here to tell you today is that we have to realize that there are people that need Jesus. I was at Fusakli's the other day, fried chicken. Thank you, Jesus. And I was sitting there eating and, and, I, and I walked right past a young man. I didn't even notice who he was. And as I was eating my chicken with one of my brothers in Christ and we were talking, he was sitting close enough by to hear us. I couldn't see his face. I didn't know who he was. And we were just talking about the goodness of God and Jesus' redemptive power and grace that is afforded to us through the cross. And 
how it's not something we have to pay for, but it's a free gift. And we were just talking about the goodness of God in our lives. And as we were talking about the goodness of God, he walked over to our table. And as he approached the table, it clicked in my mind who he was. I went to high school with this young man. And he said, I've never, ever thought that God was real. He said, but I was listening to you today. And if this is the version of God that you guys preach about, I think I'm interested and I want to come see more of that. And in that moment, I said, you don't need my preaching to know who Jesus is. And I invited him to sit down and we talked for about 15 minutes. And at the end, I said, listen, I want you to know something. The beauty behind all of this is not that you would work for this, but that Jesus is ready to give it to you. And in that table at Fusackley's on Mobile Highway, while I was drinking my sweet tea with my fried chicken, come on, we led that young man to the Lord. You want to know why? Because I wasn't so focused on what I thought mattered. I was focused on what Jesus says matters, and that's people. And today my question for you is, are you sitting at the table at Denny's or Fusakli's or Zaxby's talking about flags and statues? Are you there talking about politicians and agendas? And you're ignoring the people around you that God might have put there for you to lead to Jesus. Are you more focused on worldly things? And again, hear me today. There are some things of this world that need to be talked about and they need to be dealt with. So I'm not saying we need to ignore them. What I'm saying is we need to realize their place in our calling. Eternity first. Because if we'll change people's minds about eternity, obviously through the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit leading them, we can't change people's minds. But if we can introduce them to the Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit that would change them, hear me for a second, it'll change the way they think. You wanna solve political problems? Introduce people to Jesus and watch Jesus solve their way of thinking. You don't need more hashtags and movements. You need more of the gospel in people's lives. Now that gospel should change people's hashtags and movements. So don't get me wrong. But what it needs to do, start with the new creation. John 15, 12 through 13 says it like this. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That's the greatest love that we could show. Hear me for a second. It's gonna be hard to lay down your life for your friends if you won't lay down your political party for your friends. It's gonna be hard to lay down your life for your friends if you won't lay down your Facebook agenda for your friends. Love the people around you more than you love your ideology because that's what it looks like to walk in Christ. And that's what the world needs. Listen, you put two of me in a room, we're gonna disagree about something. So your friends that were raised differently than you, that are a different ethnicity than you, that have a different upbringing than you from different neighborhoods than you and eat different foods than you, aren't gonna believe the same as you about all the things of this world. But you know what we can agree on? The things that are not of this world. We can agree on Jesus. And as we agree on Jesus, things will change. You see, when I was at Chili's, eating my chips, my Texas cheese fries, cheese, bacon, jalapenos dipped in ranch, and then my chicken crispers with a honey chipotle sauce, which if you get a side of honey mustard and then dip it in, it is a game changer. I'm just here to tell you right now. But anyways, all that to say, I didn't have any room left for my skillet cookie. 
And for many of us, we are treating Jesus just like the skillet cookie at the end of our meal. After we've gotten full on the world and social media and the news and stuff I really don't need. After I've given the areas of my life to something that quite frankly won't matter when we all die. After I've been committed to things and proclaimed my ideologies. Once I've become emotionally invested in the things of this world, am I making Jesus the thing at the end of my life that if I have time for you, I'll let you be my influence? What if we started with Jesus? What if we put him at the beginning? What if we adopted his ideologies instead of our own and we let his shape ours? What if we went to him first rather than our Facebook friends? Listen, you can find any knucklehead out there to agree with you about something. It doesn't make you right. So what we have to do is go to Jesus first and let him shape us. Active faith starts with Christ. So hear me for a second. It's much more than turning all of our work over to God and his kingdom. You see, so much so that now he takes our work that may be in vain and he makes it fruitful. And I'll give you this and then we'll close today. You see, in the beginning, God created man to till the ground, to, to break up the ground. To, he, he put him there to tend to the garden, if you remember in Genesis. So man was built to work. So our job was to come in and take care of the thing that God created for us. Work was a part of what we would do. We were gonna be active with God. But then sin enters the world and as sin enters the world, guess what happens? God says, now you're gonna have to work for a different thing. You're not just gonna take care of what I'm giving you, you're gonna have to work to have what I'm giving you. And, and matter of fact, out of the grounds, when we would work out of the grounds, would come thorns, be painful. And what was built to be beautiful was now going to be saturated in thorns. And, and, and when sent into the world, that soil that was supposed to produce beauty and flourishing produced thorns, but in the gospel where Jesus is at, the blood that flowed from the crown of thorns reproduced the beauty and flourishing. You see, sin came into the world and it produced thorns. But when Jesus went to the cross, he wore thorns to bring beauty back into the world. And today I'm here to tell you that the things of your life that you don't want may very well be the things of life that are necessary to get where God's taking you. Become active, put Jesus first. Realize it's gonna take some humility it's gonna take being passionate, but through Jesus, we're gonna see new things step in. And so in faith, I'm inviting you, start putting Jesus first. Let Jesus be the beginning and the end of your thought process, of your ideologies, of your belief systems. Care more about the blood that flows red than the flag that flies red, white, and blue. Don't get me wrong, I love our country and I'm proud to be in it, but Jesus is the most important thing that will ever be in my life and everything is sacrificed at the altar of Jesus Christ, including my patriotism of a country that I love, including my rights of what I have been given. Everything is given back to Jesus and whatever he gives back to me, I'll take it. But it's gonna start with him. I'm, I'm inviting you to allow your faith to be in that same place, that I'm giving this to Jesus. So for those of you that serve our country, I say thank you. For those that have served our country, I say thank you. I'm not demeaning what you've done. I'm saying, for those of us that are in Jesus, let's put our focus back on him first, and then we'll be grateful for all the worldly things around us because eternity will be greater 
than the temporary. Let's pray today. Father, we thank you. God, we thank you that you're leading us and you're guiding us, that you're encouraging us, that you're equipping us, that you're standing beside us, that you're carrying us, and that you are better than, greater than, and man, altogether more lovely than anything this world could give us. So Jesus, we look to you to be everything for us. Help us see what needs to be laid down and help us know what needs to be picked up. Help us stand and fight for those that need justice, for those that are unborn. Let us be grateful for those that are giving great sacrifice, whether they're wearing camouflage, whether they're wearing blue, whether they're wearing a badge of any sort. God, those that have a heart to love, serve, and protect people, God, let us honor them as well. At the same time, let us fight for those who are hurting, broken, and damaged. But God, let us do all of that from a position of active faith, where you, Jesus, are first. So God, our love for you, let it be love for justice. Our love for you, let it be love for the unborn. Our love for you, let it be love for our country or the place that you have put us, God, but not just our country through patriotism, also for our job that maybe we're not passionate about. For our community that we quite frankly don't wanna be in anymore. For the neighborhood or the area, our city, Father, that we've lost the desire to share the gospel with. May you encourage us to be more passionate about seeing people who are going to die one day and they're going to go to heaven or hell. God, may we become so passionate about ensuring that people's security is eternally protected through the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, may we not turn blind eyes to our coworkers who are gonna burn forever in eternity without you while we wait to clock out at five. Stir our hearts. Help us become passionate people, but passionate about eternal things and that those eternal things would change the way we think about temporal things because it is in you that all things are restored. We thank you and we love you today. In Jesus' name, if you're watching this, and today you need Jesus to give you a fresh start. Our time is more than up today, but I want you to know that if you're ready for Jesus to give you a fresh start and you're ready for him to forgive your sins, give you a clean slate, a new beginning, he's ready to give it to you. The Bible says if we put our faith in him, we can have eternal life. And today, if you want Jesus to give you that clean slate, I'm gonna invite you to pray this prayer after me. And this prayer doesn't make you saved. Your faith in Jesus makes you saved. But this prayer puts action or puts words to the actions of your heart. So let's pray this today and you can repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me my wrongs. Make me clean. Make me pure and make me whole. I believe you died for me and I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, listen, if you prayed that prayer, we are celebrating with you. And we know that God is going to do something great in your life. And this is the beginning. And so we want to help you on the rest of the journey. And so if you'll do us a huge favor and fill out the connect card that our team is dropping in the comments right now, if you'll click on one of those links and you can fill out the connect card, we'd love to help you on the next steps that God has for you. But we are celebrating with you today. I'm celebrating with you today. Our churches and the Bible says that all of heaven is rejoicing with you.